Thank you. I don't um, have a lot of opportunities to stand in the pulpit, thankfully, because it's a weighty burden. And this pulpit, especially, even though uh, my shoes are a lot bigger than the man that normally stands here, I can't even come close to filling his shoes. So I brought um, an old standby that helps me a lot. This is my old study Bible, my old Dake's Bible. And many times I have been in the midst of stress and turmoil and I have slept with this Bible on my chest. I have laid this Bible on the floor and stood on it because it holds me up. It's the power of God. Last week, I was listening to conversations with some of our staff members, and, and I, I heard something that quickened my spirit a little bit, and that it was sad in a sense, and also it sparked something in me that made me think about it. It, it, was, it was a question about how many people we have that are actively involved and want to be involved and want to get out and do things for the Lord. And, and how I remember in my beginning in, in church and ministry was not um, something that I sought. Uh, this position that I have, I did not apply for. Uh, I I came here on business, and God just plucked me out of the state of Texas and plopped me down in the middle of Ohio. And I thought I would never willingly leave Texas. I love Texas. But I have to say now I have an equal love, if not greater love, in my heart for Ohio and, and for the family that I have here. So I got to thinking about why some people may not seek to serve God in the church or in their community, in their nation or in the world, and what would hold them back? Because we all have gifts. God's given us all gifts, and we can use those gifts for his kingdom. And in the course of my daily Bible study, I opened up Romans chapter 7, and I looked at it, and something struck me in this chapter, starting in, well, verse, chapter 7, verse 24, and this is written by Paul, the apostle. Keep that in mind. And he says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Paul, the apostle Paul, serves the law of sin, calls himself a wretched man, and that led me to a little more study. Starting in verse 15, it says, For that which I do, I allow not. Which means that I really don't like that which I do. Keep this in mind now. For what I would, that I do not. So what he's saying is those things that I would want to do, I don't do. But what I hate, that I do. Now, Paul is demeaning himself in his own words, saying that he is despicable in his own sight. Then he says, if then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. If he does that which he would not, he consents unto the law that it is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but the sin that dwelleth in me. Paul says he has sin that dwells in him. Sin that dwelleth in him. The apostle Paul. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me. But how to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. He's saying that in his heart he knows good things. And, and in his spirit and in his mind he knows the things that the Lord would have him do the things that express love and goodness and kindness and mercy and grace. But somehow, he gets caught up in something that overpowers the will to do good. And he says, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it but the sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that is, when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. The apostle Paul admitting that sometimes he gets caught up in the law of flesh and he serves sin and he despises himself for it. I think that in some cases, sin may be more powerful than the law and more powerful than, than man and our will. As Paul states here, he does things sometimes that he wouldn't do, he wouldn't want to do, that he despises, and he describes himself as wretched. Can you imagine how he is feeling? He is so distraught because of what he has done, that he recognizes within himself 
was not the will of God. It was the will of his flesh. And sin, that he said, abide in him. I think sometimes many of us as Christians struggle with the inability to measure up to a perceived standard of living a sin-free life. And as highly as we regard Paul, he also held himself to a standard that he felt he was not always living. But it did not persuade him to separate himself from the work of God. (laughs) If I were to describe the Apostle Paul, and these are just my words, I would say he was diligent, faithful, focused, self-sacrificing, enduring all hardships, tenacious, holy, righteous, and you could go on and on and on because the word tells us of all the things that, that the Apostle Paul did. He gave us the clearest description of Christianity in the Bible. This is the Apostle Paul. But he's subject to sin that wars against his nature, his godly nature. He struggled with that. And in this chapter, he did not see himself as as such that I described, holy and righteous. And he didn't give up. He worked harder. The Dake's Bible speculates that Paul is discussing this and this line of thought while he was in a state of blindness for three days as he was struck struck blind on the road to Damascus. I also referred to Matthew Henry's commentary and uh, John Gill's exposition of the word and They say there are two trains of thought there, that that is maybe perhaps when he was actually during those three days speculating about what he thought he was doing, which was righteous and godly, was persecuting Christians, and then found out that in fact he wasn't, that he was fighting the very savior that he was hoping to prepare a way for. He didn't give up. He worked harder. He strived towards the mark of the prize of the high calling. In our own lives, we may become so disappointed with our performance that we we step back or we do less or we determine we're not capable of doing God's work. And not so with Paul. Even as he was admittedly, frequently, led to tempers and words and orations that perhaps were not pleasing to God and certainly not to himself. As he reasoned with himself and called out to God, he became convinced that as long as he lived in the flesh of his mortal body, he would have to deal with such distractions until he left his mortal body and was delivered to perfection in an immortal body by Christ Jesus. And I think that sometimes when we are in a church and, and we in a church that, that recognizes and preaches about sin and uh, sometimes we 
we feel like we're held to a standard that may be, may be too high, but it's not. It's just a thought that we have within ourselves, which is part of our old man that lingers in us. And even though we have the grace of God, we forsake that grace because we believe that somehow we are subject to sin so easily that we become distracted from the work of God and therefore we're not worthy and therefore we're not valuable and our contribution is worthless. And it's so wrong. It's so wrong because of God's grace we can stumble and still stand up and go forward and serve him as long as we recognize that those things that lead us to imperfection that take us away from God's plan and God's purpose and lead us in a direction that is not necessarily where we should go and profess ourselves as being holy. The conflict between human nature, wills, and acts is regarded as being distracted. And the distraction could be defined as a sinful distraction if it leads us somewhere that takes us away from God's plan and God's perfection perfection in our lives and his grace and glory and you know that even a a sinful thought if it passes through your mind leaves a clutter of uncleanness and we have to purge ourselves when we recognize that we have to purge ourselves we have to stand before God we have to say father forgive me I'm just your creation and I stumble and sometimes I make mistakes when I when I was looking through this and reading these scriptures and speculating about how to present this, I had to look at it as how this pertains to me and my life and what I, I have done and the things that I, I did that I believe were righteous and holy and the things that I've done that I believe were not righteous and holy. And I know that in the pursuit of my occupation and working in this church and, and trying to be a minister to those about me and those that are downcast and brokenhearted and discouraged that I have found myself doing things that, that I know God wasn't pleased with. The reason I know God wasn't pleased with it because he showed me in my heart. And it is an anguish. It is a pain that is hard to describe because it's, it's emotional and it's spiritual and you feel so let down in your heart when you find yourself in the midst of doing something that doesn't reflect the Christ in you. Now, I'm not prone to uh, continuous repetitive sins of alcohol and drug addiction and, and things that, that uh, would disqualify me from doing what I do. But sometimes I get compassionate about the things that I do and I get very caught up in it and it becomes very serious to me and maybe I go a bit too far. Sometimes I have become overzealous as I think perhaps Paul might have in some of his orations. There are certain things that I take very seriously. I, I take 
the security of this ministry and this church and our pastors very seriously. And if I see someone that, that I think is lax in that regard and is not taking it as serious as they should, I might say something that would uh, offend them. And that's happened. <laughs> I, I've done it. And, uh, and when the Lord convicts me of it and corrects me of it, I become repentant and contrite. And I, I go to him and I express my sorrow and ask for forgiveness. And if, if I'm so caught up in what's going on around me that I don't realize that God's trying to prompt me to do that, then uh, I don't have to worry because uh, uh, my pastor will correct me. <laughs> He's, uh, sometimes I call him the velvet hammer. I never use that word in front of him, but I call him the velvet hammer because he can smack you quickly and cause, would have caused damage, except that he also comes back and loves you and nurtures you and holds you back up. <laughs> Thank God for our pastors. You know, the will to do good is a characteristic that separates Christians, the born again or regenerate man, from sinners, the unregenerate man, in enmity with God. They're against God. They're living a consensuous life of sin. They consent to live in sin. They want to live in sin. They're happy to live in sin. And they don't regret it. I was watching the news this morning and I saw the end of a trial where a, uh, a man had killed two sheriff's deputies. He was a, not that it really matters, he was an illegal alien. And he said, I'm not a bit sorry. I wish I'd killed more. I'd be happy to kill more. Let me out and I'll kill more right now. And he was laughing about it. This was a man that lives in sin consensuously. He wants to be there. He is against God. He's against the law of God. He's against anything that this word says. He doesn't want to conform. He doesn't want to be saved. He doesn't believe that it's important. I should have prayed for him right then. I did a little later. Uh, if the Apostle Paul was distracted from his will to do right, how can we be so self-condemning that we would allow our old man to separate us from Christ or the work of God? Are we different than Paul? I'd say I'm much less than Paul. I'm so far beneath his level that it's like being in an airplane and looking down on cars and seeing them as ants. I'm like an ant in his sight, in my mind, for all the things that he had done and all the things that he has led us to. But because of that, that distraction, that even affect the Apostle Paul, I know it has to affect us because it affects me. And many times I have looked at myself and thought, I'm not worthy. I, I don't deserve this. And 
and I reason it out. I, I talk to God and I pray about it and, and we basically discuss it. And he reminds me that he brought me to it. And if I really seek to serve him and I want to be pleasing in his sight, then I have to recognize that he controls me and guides me and leads me. And, and I have a self-will that sometimes takes me off course, but I have to recognize that he's the one that chose me. He's the one that said I'm worthy. He's the one that said I can do it. And every one of you have that same call and inclination, and God can bring you to the place where you can do it. So there's nothing. When I was working on this message, I asked God, is there anybody that this is going to appeal to or affect in any way? Is it going to make a difference in somebody's life? Is it worth the time and the effort to do this? And he said, there's one. One makes it worthwhile. Don't let distractions, moments of weakness, turn us away from doing right, serving God, and doing good. For this is part of the devil's plan, to deceive us into believing that we can't be fully delivered and are therefore not worthy to be a servant in God's house or to fulfill God's plan for us in our church, our community, our nation, or the world. These distractions are like frailties of our mind, actions contrary to the grace of God, which cause sadness, as sometimes, unawares, we're overtaken and held captive before we know where we are or what we're doing. I, I, I've been caught like that. I've gotten upset somewhere where I was getting service from someone who was going to provide something for me at my expense, and, and they made a, a mistake, and, and the product wasn't there, and, and they offered me a shoddy replacement, and I was very upset about it because they, they, they called me and told me that it was here, and I could come in and get it, and, and I was happy to do that, but then they offered me this other thing. It wasn't what I wanted, and I got upset about it, and I made it plainly known that I was upset about it. And in the midst of it, as I felt my temper rising, this little voice spoke to me and said, you're not being a very good example of the body of Christ. And you got to remember something. And just tell me this. you got to remember something. It's not just you. You're representing a body. You're representing a church. You're one of my envoys. You're somebody that I chose because I believed in you. <sighs> you know, I had to go back and apologize. And I took the shoddy product anyway. <laughs> and I took it home <laughs> and fixed it and had to go buy parts for it and stuff like that. But I took it anyway because I needed to do that. I needed to do that. And when we're caught up in those kinds of situations, we suddenly realize that these actions are not the actions of the new man, but are the deeds of the old man. We find ourselves not liking or approving such pollutions because they are, they pollute us in our spirit. They make us ill. And we loathe ourselves in our acts. 
because of this discontent we have from doing what we know in our hearts to be wrong. We prove that we're mindful of the law and sin and death and repent of our sins. Romans 8.1 says that there is therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death even though I do things that are not pleasing to God. Even though I sometimes step out from under my halo and I walk in a way that distresses me, I'm still under grace. God provided grace for me. So maybe he'll paddle me and then he'll pat me on the back and say, it's okay, just keep going. Get over it, get past it, and do the right thing. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Who says we're not worthy or that our contributions do not have value? Is it God? God doesn't say that, does he? Who is our accuser? <laughs> Who is the that condemneth? Uh, we're going to stay in Romans and go to verse 34. Romans chapter 7, verse 34. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Wow, so even when I'm acting a fool, Christ is making intercession for me. That's grace. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? It is, is, is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come or stupid things that I do. Nor height nor depth or any other creature shall be able to separate me us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So any time that I, I look at my activities and the things that I do, and then I think about what I've done and, and how I might have discouraged or hurt someone, I, I stop and pause and ask God to reveal to me is there anyone that has an ought against me? Or is there anyone that I have an ought against that I need to correct, that I need to change that situation so that I can be more of who God's called me to be, that I can be a better servant, that I can be pleasing to him, that I can touch people's lives and make a difference? I just want to be a servant. And I think every person here who considers themselves to be born again, who, when they call out to God, expects God to answer their prayers. 
Every person here, if you are not involved in doing something for the kingdom, don't consider yourself not worthy or unable. God has predestinated us all. He's, all, he's given us all the ability to do these things. What, whatever it might be. You know, we've got outreach coming up. We've got door-to-door ministry coming up. You think, oh gosh, I can't knock on somebody's door. I don't know. Yeah, you can. <laughs> you can do it. You have people knock on your door all the time. And sometimes it's a distraction that maybe you don't like and you don't want to deal with. But I used to do door-to-door sales. And you want to talk about tough sales? I sold cemetery property <laughs> door-to-door. And going in, they said, you're going to knock on 100 doors before you sell one grave plot. And actually, it was 100 doors before anybody would even talk to me. I didn't do that very long. <laughs> but I want to tell you, it taught me something. There's a way to approach somebody's door. If you don't know those people and there's a way to do it, it makes it more comfortable for you and comfortable for them. And if you start with a smile, and the old adage that smiles are contagious, uh, Sometimes you get a smile back. Do not let temporary failures define or redefine your true nature in Christ. Continue to disapprove of wrongdoing and to be contrite. Your own wrongdoing. And I don't want you to be judgmental and go pointing fingers at other people. Remember what Jesus said about the moat in your brother's eye. Consider first the, the plank, the beam that you have in your own eye. But continue to disapprove of wrongdoing in your own heart, in your own actions. Be contrite. That means settle in your heart the conviction that you want to do the right thing. In recognizing the wrongness, which is the nature of the regenerate man, we are striving to live without sin. The regenerate man, remember the born again who lives for God, who loves God and loves God's law and wants to be pleasing in his sight. The regenerate man never has, or excuse me, the unregenerate man never has any contriteness in his heart or any desire to forgive or be forgiven. Recognize it's not that we never do anything good that we will to do. For we do many good things and that we will to do, good things that we want to do and good things that are, are expressions of our love for others and our love for Christ. But also recognize that we do not always do it perfectly. As perfectly as we desire and maybe never can. Without grace and strength from Christ, it's impossible. If we fall, we must repent, get up, and seek God so that we may go forward doing good. If it were not for Christ, the iniquity that dwells in us would certainly be to our ruin 
we would be destroyed. For it is Christ that has purchased deliverance for us in due time. Blessed be the God that give us this victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians 5, chapter, chapter 5, verse 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, you are not under the law. Matthew Henry's commentary says something that is regarding the struggles between grace and corruption and sanctified souls. And it goes back again to Romans 7, 14 through 25, that there are remainders of indwelling corruption even where there is a living principle of graced and it says it's past dispute if we say that we have no sin we deceive ourselves first john chapter 1 verse 8 through 10 that true grace strives against these sins and corruptions is likewise certain read that scripture are you still awake <laughs> okay <laughs> 8 through 10 if we say that we have no sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us if we confess our sins he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness if we say that we have not sinned we make him a liar and his word is not in us true grace strives against these sins and corruptions and is likewise certain. The flesh lusts against the spirit, Galatians 5, 17, and the spirit against the flesh, and these contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. And in Matthew Henry's commentary again, he states that it's Paul's design to further open the nature of sanctification, that it does not attain to a sinless perfection in this life. That to which we sincerely strive against shall not be laid to our charge. And through grace, the victory is sure at last. The grace leads us to victory. And that's sure at last. As long as we keep our focus and realize that we're going to fall, we're going to make mistakes, and sometimes we might even disappoint God more than we would like. I think any disappointment is more than we would like. The, I think it, it comes back to the, the main reason for this message was that why do certain people not serve in the church? Is it because they think they're not worthy, they don't have the ability, they're not good enough, they don't have the gift? I'd say more likely it's because they're deceived by the devil and that everything that they need is within them and God provides that for us so that when we go forward, he sends his angels before us and we will accomplish the task that he has sent us to accomplish and we will do it. Don't give up. Don't quit. You know, just because 
Paul said it was not him that did it, it was the sin that, that dwelt in him, is, is not an excuse to sin, but rather a hope that in sometimes failing, we have the grace that is in, is in Christ Jesus to get up and keep going forward. Don't give up. Don't quit. Get on board. Let's do something for the kingdom. Would that Christ would come back Easter Sunday and the 19 people, <laughs> the 19 people that Melanie invited would come to know Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. We can all shout the glory. Praise God. Praise God. And I want to close with this. This is a scripture that I stand on a lot. It's one of my life scriptures. When we feel weak and overwhelmed with our dismay in ourselves, remember this, Isaiah 41.10. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Be not dismayed. Be not dismayed. You're called. You're called to the Lord. Get out and knock on doors. Do it for Jesus. If Jesus walked in here right now and said, would you please go knock on doors for me? I think some of you get out here so fast you'd leave your shoes. <laughs> please. You're not doing it for your church. You're doing it for the kingdom. You're doing it for Christ Jesus. Thank you. I hope that uh, that one person was here. And if you are, we have altar workers that come up here and pray for people after the service. Please, please come up and let them pray for you. You can cast aside the burden. You can walk in grace. You can be who God's called you to be. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the blessed name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, our Lord and our Savior, your precious Son. We thank you, Father, that though we're not worthy in our own sight, you caused him to pay the price for our sin. He died for us that we might live in him. Father, as we approach this Easter Sunday, we pray, Lord, that everyone will have that appreciation in their heart for the sacrifice that Christ made. And we look forward to not just seeing him again but celebrating his resurrection we believe that Christ died for our sins and rose again and we wait for that day that coming day that we will see his glory and we thank you Father for all the blessings you bestow watch over and bless and protect every person here surround them with your angels send your angels before them Make their way safe. Bring them home safely. In Jesus' name. 
Amen and amen. God bless you.